0: Hello and welcome back to the Bench to Boardroom Podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Steele, and today's guest is Dr. Edritz Havalosa of the charcot Tooth Research Foundation. I think I've introduced you to some pretty impressive women so far, but trust me, you ain't seen nothing yet. If we're thinking about career trajectory alone, nobody beats Dr. Edritz Havelosa. You'll see why. Um, She came originally from the Philippines and then moved with her family, first to Michigan and then to Arizona, where she did her undergraduate degree in neuroscience and then moved on to get her PhD in neuroscience uh, at Stanford University. Edris is considered, or at the time, she was considered, a first generation low income or fly student. And we talk about how that's important. And why a sense of community was very important to her as she was pursuing her undergraduate degree and eventually her PhD. Um, After she graduated, she actually started working very quickly in the nonprofit sector. Uh, She spent a few years at the Muscular Dystrophy Association, and it seems like she took on a different job almost every year she was there, working in clinical research, Working in database research, and then finally moving on to more like a portfolio management role, which altogether prepared her to become now the chief scientific officer at the marie Tooth Research Foundation. But as you'll hear, Edritz is very deliberate about her career choices. And she took some time really to think about whether or not this was a role that she wanted, whether or not this was a role that she felt uh, she would be a good fit for. And at the end of the day, by asking for help and explaining early on what her shortcomings in this particular role would be, she ended up getting more than she even hoped for in this new position. And it's really a, a very remarkable story. Hers is, hers is a, a story I'm looking forward to watching as time goes on because she is not done by any stretch. I I look forward to seeing what she does next. But for now, here's my interview with Dr. Edgert Havelosa. Dr. Edritz-Havalosa, thank you so much for coming to Bench and Boardroom today.
1: Thank you, Dr. Steele, for having me here. And, you know, this is very exciting. I'm excited. I, I'm so excited, too, because I, I only know peripherally
0: about your organization through a friend who has a grant through you guys. And so I'm looking forward to talking to you about your journey. Uh, we can talk some disease states, And then um, if there's anybody listening who is interested in applying for one of your grants, you know, maybe we could talk about that too. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. So um, yeah, let's go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. let us know. Introduce yourself. Um, so my name is Edris um I did my PhD at Stanford University where I received my degree in neuroscience. Um, Previous to that, I attended the University of Arizona, where I received my Bachelor's of Science in Molecular and Cellular Biology. Um, Going outside a little bit of science, I was born in the Philippines. I lived there for almost 14 years. And, you know, my, I think my immigrant story has just kind of brought me to the U.S. And that's kind of really where my educational um, journey uh, started. And so lived in Michigan right after the U.S. First experience in snow and, you know, having a, a white, very cold Christmas, but you know, nonetheless, it was still exciting. Um, and then after two years, my family and I moved to Arizona, where I did the rest of high school and attended a university, and then um, was very motivated by some of my professors and realized, you know, how I wanted to stay in, in science. And um Wanted to know how can I become a professor? Yeah, wow. <laughs> and, and yeah, and so that's kind of where my educational uh, journey also started at the University of Arizona, um, mm-hmm. wanting to you know do more exploration in science and understanding the biology. Um, as we all know, biology is so complicated, but which which is what makes it great. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that eventually led me to a summer um, internship at Stanford University um, in the neuroscience department and, you know, initially at that summer um, worked on neurodegeneration and so. I had such a great experience, um, not only, you know, with the science, but also having the type of support that I had during that summer, um, I think was probably the biggest factor in pursuing, uh, graduate school Hmm. and and, yeah. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, um, I want to do research. Um, let me try and see if I can get into Stanford. Uh, and one story after the other, uh, here I am. Amazing. I'm still in California, uh, now working for a nonprofit organization um, that is focused on CMT, which stands for Charcot-Marie-Tooth. Okay, wonderful.
0: I So I actually wanna ask you, because I honestly don't know, what is the school system like in the Philippines and like, what was your science education like? Was there something that sparked your interest as a little kid or was it when you came to the U S can you tell us about that?
1: Um, I think I was a little more curious. I think I was just like a, such a curious child. Um, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that my interest in science stemmed from my classes specifically, um, you know, I can only speak in terms of, um, I guess we didn't have middle school there. So it was like elementary from sixth grade, and then high school, but started seventh grade till, you know, eighth, ninth and tenth. Hmm. I I don't know if that has changed. Um, It might have, but I'm not sure but the way our classes were um, structured there is that the students actually don't move classrooms so that was was nice we just stayed and then the teachers would come in Um, it's all mostly lecture based um the difference that i feel like was a big you know, change in terms of the structure of the science classes in the Philippines and, you know, my science classes in middle school and high school was that there's always some sort of like lab component, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so you get to tinker, which is like, I think the best part of it. Um, I am such a visual and kind of like mechanical person. So the best way for me to learn is to either see it and visualize it, or I'm, you know, doing something with my hands, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so I think growing up, I was just exposed to so many um, stimuli, you know, in my environment, um, in terms of, you know, the nature that is in the tropical areas. and then also I, okay, this might be very corny. Um, I used to watch Bill Nye the Science Guy <laughs> growing up. And, um, oh, there was another uh, cartoon show. It was like the, oh gosh, I can't remember what it was called. It was like, it had something with the bus. Um oh, the magic school bus? Yes, the magic. <laughs> bus. Oh, my <laughs> God. I enjoyed watching those growing up. And, and I think that also fueled my curiosity. Sure. And um, yep. yeah. And so I think that curiosity has just sort of built up over time. And then, you know, really going into science more, I would say, was um, fueled when I came to the U.S. Because of the lab components Mm -hmm. and really tying the theory with the application. You know, I actually, I really
0: agree with that because I'm not a great memorizer, you know, which didn't really help me when I was taking a subject like gross anatomy, for example, where there's no mechanism. Just this is the structure and this is what it does. And this is where it's located. And, you know... Without that context, it was incredibly difficult for me. And as PhDs, as scientists, we're not taught to just memorize things using, you know, um, using acronyms or using any sort of uh, devices. You know, um, all the different ways that they used to memorize, like the brachial plexus, for example. You know, they had all these crazy, you know, sayings that they used to use. And I mean, I want to see the context. I want to see how it fits in. And mm-hmm. Um, it was really in grad school when I started to really appreciate that because, you know, we would, for example, we would learn about the MAP kinase cascade. You know, maybe that morning, I just learned about, you know, ERK and and <laughs> junk and the, all those pathways. And then I would see a scientific poster where they would use an inhibitor of, you know, ERK or junk. And I would mm-hmm. say, I just learned about that. And so that would like solidify things right. in my head. So I, I I agree with you. I don't think I'm not sure at the time how much I appreciated lab, like the lab component, other than it gave us a chance to, you know, get up and move around. But I think it was really, I think in retrospect, it was incredibly helpful to solidify right. the information that I was learning.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that is one thing um, for me as well, um, you know. And I think my uh, background as being the first in my family to um, be able to, you know, get a degree, not only not just with a PhD, but also as a Bachelor of Science, is that it's really important to be able to even relay, you know, what are you doing mm-hmm. in a um, a manner where someone without a science degree can relate to.
0: Yes. So, absolutely.
1: So I think that's always, you know, kind of always in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And um, and so everything that I do, I'm just like, okay, well, you know, like you said you know you you're looking at an inhibitor for erk like what 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 does the inhibitor do and then people are always people know what disease means right. um, so if you can apply it to something that's relatable then you know folks will be able to understand like oh okay this is what it means this is what the the pathway is supposed to be doing um and then you know be able to relate it to oh it causes this type of disease mm-hmm. but if stop what's in between maybe we stop the disease right right did your parents
0: also look like deer in the headlights at your defense because mine definitely did <laughs>
1: <laughs> well actually were they there no they weren't there for my defense and okay. it's just, this was before the time that they had um uh you know Zoom, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so they did come for my graduation. Nice, but not for the defense. Nice. Um, but whenever it comes to explanation of what I'm doing, or even my degree, what my degree was in in um, bachelor's, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have to really simplify it.
0: Mm-hmm. They say, use, you know, my parents will say, "Oh, so he's a doctor." But not like a real doctor but she's like a professor doctor like there's no such thing as a professor doctor but okay
1: yeah (laughs) and also i would argue we are real doctors yes yes we are real doctors it's just a different kind of doctor (laughs) yes we just don't deal with patients yes (laughs) but then again you do in some ways you kind of do so some ways I kind of do, but I don't give diagnosis. Correct. That's, that's, the, that's the biggest part because I've definitely had people, um, you know, from my old hometown. They're like, oh, neuroscience, brain, mm-hmm. doctor. Yeah. Oh, yes. let me just message her and ask her, hey, I've been having these symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, um, I would recommend that you go see
0: a mm-hmm. medical doctor. <laughs> yes. As an eye person, I get that all the time. You know, I, you mm-hmm. know, um, actually my mother-in-law will, will text me sometimes and say, uh, you know, dad's had some floaters, like there's been a lot of floaters in his eye lately, or his doctor says his pressure's up a little bit. And say, okay, well, that's okay, you know, just make sure, you know, he, he, he takes his vitamins and you know, et cetera, et cetera. In contrast, my real father has glaucoma, and he won't tell me anything. Like, Dad, I, I what's your pressure. Like, he's like, I don't know. How are your eye drops? They're fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's such an it's such like an immigrant man thing. Like, nope, nope, I'm yep. fine. Don't want to talk about yep. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so you mentioned um, being a first generation student. So, so tell me about that. Tell me what that means to you.
1: Yeah. So. Um... So there's this acronym FLY, (laughs) Um, so F-L-I, which means first generation low income. And I didn't really know what this terminology meant until I came to the States. Again, there's a lot of like discovery, you know, um, coming to the States, uh, new environment, new culture. Um, And when I attended college, uh, it almost seemed like, my fellow classmates already knew right what was what was going on in college um even like the topics it just seemed like it clicked for them and and i think when i would have discussions with some of my fellow classmates you know and hear like oh yeah my dad or my mom is in the scientific field. They do this, they do that. And they have those resources for them, which was very different from my um, own experience because I can't go back to my family and like, hey, we had this discussion about you know, astrocytes, <laughs> for <Right>. example. <laughs> um, and they would just give me a blank face or Um, they would probably tell me to go ask, you know, my, my uncle who is a doctor, like an Mm -hmm. MD, for example. Um, and so I think I found myself, you know, there's definitely like this struggle as I continue to pursue, um, higher education, but I also understood that, um, you know, I just have to be resourceful <laughs> yes. um, in in other ways so that I can get the type of support that I need that I don't necessarily have at home. Sure. Um, and I really found that community was such a an important component um, to becoming successful in my educational career um, I was fortunate enough that during my time at the University of Arizona, that I came across the McNair program, mm-hmm. and uh, so the McNair program is actually a, a national program. Um, it, different institutions do have to apply for grants um, for 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 this type of program, and uh, it helps uh, undergraduate students to continue pursuing higher education, specifically in, you know, PhD programs. Um, and I think that was really a pivotal point when I, you know, wanted to go into research, um, because I think it was the first time I ever set foot in a lab, you know, i was a part of this program and um and then i think no back it up i'm sorry i that that is completely false because i did get a summer internship before i started the mcnair program Mm -hmm. um I, that first summer internship did help me get into the McNair program because it kind of backs up, you know, my interest in pursuing research. Sure.
0: And that was um, back
1: you said that was, um, what, freshman and sophomore year in college or? Um, yeah, so I think my first summer internship was around sophomore year. Wow. And then, um, the McNair program, I started my third year of college. Oh. hmm yeah. And then kind of continued on, you know, throughout the remaining remainder of my time at the University of Arizona. That's and true. yeah, and, and actually, um, because the McNair program, they provide you funding for the summer when you're doing research work. Um, my my first year, it was mandatory that we stayed you know, in in the within the institution to do the summer program. But my second year, I had a little bit more flexibility. And so that gave me the opportunity to explore um, beyond the University of Arizona. And, um, you know, email professors like, hey, um, I have some money. Uh-huh. You know, I have funding for the summer. Uh-huh. Do you- an intern (laughs) to work for you for 10 weeks. (laughs) Wow. Um, I imagine you had a fair amount of interest. Surprisingly, a lot of them said no because um, what either they already took in um, summer interns and don't have the capacity or, you know, they don't have like a a mentor that would, you know, for like Mm one-on-one
0: mentoring.
1: Um, But, Stanford was the one who said yes, compared to other California schools. So that's part of the reason I ended up doing a summer internship Mm -hmm. um, at Stanford at that time. And then I, you know, was fortunate enough to really have such a, I would say, such a colorful experience, you know, Um, just experience in, in a lab that was so supportive and just full of postdocs um, because wow. it was different from my previous you know, research experiences um, and then going to a new institution. Right. Or being in California, for example. And, and you're probably surrounded by other international students, right? Yes. Yes. A lot of international students and funny enough, um, my uh, college experience, I met a lot of international students because I had to work part-time okay. at the International Center. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. So um, so it was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was always exposed to all kinds of people, you know, different institutions, different cultures. That's really neat. Is yeah. that what sparked your interest in DEI? Um not necessarily mm-hmm. i think it was more of my own experience as a first-gen low-income mm-hmm. um, student and um you know also understanding how much there's uh, there's so much bias in the sciences yeah. um, and, and it goes beyond the sciences you know as we look at um you know we, we listen to the news we mm-hmm. listen different um, or read different articles um, at the height of the pandemic, so much was happening. Yep. And so I think it's really, you know, those different factors that kind of helped me push um, efforts to stay um, involved and be proactive in, you know, Bringing in more representation, diversification, um, equity, and inclusion in the sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes, you probably see more professors who come from, you know, like who are male, um, white male professors. Uh, it's not very uncommon to see that. And so I think, and that influences your own experiences. Absolutely. And, and I didn't know um how to become a professor when i was like oh i want to be a professor but my initial thinking at that time i was like oh but i don't look like any of them there's only a few female professors and only my female professors were the ones like you can go to um you know you can become a professor you just have to attend grad school um do more research experiences and so i think for me that really was so important to know i was like well if i'm feeling like this already you know what are other um women in the stem field feeling in particular women of color as well and come from you know first generation low income and other types of identities that are not represented in the stem field
0: absolutely I think that's so important. Um, I just had a conversation very recently with some colleagues, and it was the previous episode that came out before this one, where we actually did mention how companies like the concept of DEI, and it's almost like um, you know this month is um, no, Black Awareness Month, and then June is Pride Month, and they they kind of drape themselves in that just for that one month, you know, like there's rainbow flags everywhere, but July first comes and you know, they're gone. And I we feel like it's it's this beautiful idea, this you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. And they can sometimes talk the talk. You know, a lot of companies are are good at talking the talk, but when it actually comes to walking the walk, they're not so great. And I, I love that you actually had that initiative to talk to some of your female professors and say, I don't look like that. I don't speak like that. I don't think like that. None of these men have had the experiences in my in their lives that I've had. Mm-hmm. Do I do I fit in? Can I fit in? And you know, we were just at a meeting over the weekend, and I mean, the foundation that that uh, held the meeting does a very very good job bringing in women and people of color, and there's a lot of diversity when it comes to the panel moderators. But the companies will still send mm. typically an old white man
1: mm-hmm. you know that
0: it, it was very very typical and unfortunately i mean mantles are just part of our lives at this point so oh i've never heard that
1: before mannels
0: <laughs> is <Isn't> it perfect <laughs> it's so sad but and, and one of my friends actually said to me i didn't even notice it until you said something because yeah. we're just so used to it so I love knowing that there are people like you out there and there's pe- there's others who really do try to advocate and certainly something that I try to do here at the podcast is to say you can come from anywhere you can start from anywhere we all start in this like very small space you know we're just we're just tinkering in the lab we're subbing slides we're learning how to slice brain tissue or whatever it may be you know but eventually you you can grow and you can expand and if you have the right people behind you, then that that can definitely make a huge difference. So it doesn't matter if you grow up thinking you're going to become a vice president of a company someday. Most of the yeah. vice presidents did not think that that's what they were going to do when they when they first started out. So I think that I, I think it's great that that was also um, your experience and you actually looked ahead and thought, you know, can I actually do this?
1: Yeah, and and I think that's maybe just, you know, part of personal experience, um, incorporated into the scientific journey. Sure. Where moving from one country to a whole another country where I didn't know what to expect. Sure. Um, I only knew what America was like based on, you know, movies, Uh <laughs> <laughs> and what, what to expect. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's so different, right? And then sometimes it's, it's just a matter of putting yourself out there, mm-hmm. um, to, really understand whether you're able to do this or not, you, you quickly learn some of the things that you don't like, at least that's how it works for me. It's easier yep. for me to identify what doesn't work versus what works. Because again, like I'm so curious. I, I love to learn. I'm always wanting to like know what's happening here. What's happening there. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to narrow down. <laughs> so okay. yeah. So like research, trial and errors. Mm-hmm.
0: And you know I think it's important to also emphasize that there are pe- you you can ask. You know, yeah. there are people who you can talk to and you know when you find people that you can trust you can share these questions, these concerns with whether it be a mentor, um a mother or father figure or just a friend, you right. know, because we're we're all having these same thoughts, we're all having these same feelings, you know. And so you don't have to deal with it alone, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yes, yes. And then it goes back again to having that community that's yeah. really important. Um, and I'm trying to think of the word that was used when I was in grad school, your hype crew. Yeah, so you, it's oh, important your hype crew. Yes, yes. Yeah. Actually, I, I love that, Edger, It's because
0: I, I mentioned that to some graduate students that I was talking to uh, recently. I said you know you, you've got to find you have to have that friend you know we all have at least a couple of friends who will say like yeah you've got this yes you know, yes you should apply because you are qualified and you are awesome and they would be so lucky to have you you yeah i like that you, you need everyone needs a hype crew
1: yes definitely and and you just said um you know you should apply because you're qualified mm-hmm. and i think it kind of goes back to dei as well is that Um, and, and they've done studies with this too, where women would look at an application and, um, if they don't fit all of the boxes, they don't apply. But with men, you know, they just go for it. Right. So I think, you know, for, for my own personal experience, sometimes I do get the hesitation as well but then i remember i'm like why why am i hesitating mm-hmm. i don't necessarily have to have all of the qualifications met you know it's rather more of the journey that mm-hmm. you take right and versus not getting it because you didn't put yourself out there absolutely you
0: know? that's actually why i so far have only interviewed women because our journeys are totally different and how we are encouraged or discouraged, and how we are pushed or not pushed, is completely different from a man's perspective. And in large part, it, it does have to do, in some ways, with society. It has something to do with you know the way we're brought up. But you know, I, I also feel like there's other considerations, like you know, will I still be able to be a good provider? You know, a, a, a good mother, a good wife, a good sibling, a good friend. You know, we 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 take on so much um care work in a way. And that always comes into consideration whenever you're applying for a new job or something that's very intensive. Not only does that imposter syndrome kind of creep in and say, you know, you're you may not be qualified for this job, but on top of that, you know, maybe you look at a job that's 50% travel. Well you're thinking of what, who's going to take care of my pets, who's going to take care of my kids. God, in some ways, who's going to take care of my husband? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, so there's always, I guess, in a, in a way, our our way of thinking, it, it, it seems to me like it's more complex. There's always more ways, more things that we think about as we're entering a new um, sphere, or a new era in our lives, you know? Right,
1: there's so and, many dimensions. Yeah. And- different um factors that we have to include um so yes it's never just like one uh one narrow thinking it's like okay what would happen if i do this what would happen to that do Mm -hmm. i have this experience how can i you know relate my current experience now to what they're asking for yeah totally
0: so i ask everyone this question and i'm going to ask you as well i'm very curious about your answer when you were at Stanford and you're you're getting your PhD, what was your? This is too, this this is too much. I'm done. I don't want to do this
1: anymore. What was your give it all up and run away fantasy job? Um. Oh, was my give it all up, run away fantasy job? Um, like I would make cupcakes. Like you know,
0: <laughs> friends of mine were going to open coffee shops. You know and. <laughs> things like that. You know what I mean? There's only one person I've talked to who has said, I've just always wanted to be a chemist. And I say, okay, that's Um, that's incredibly boring.
1: (laughs) So actually, um, so I got into um, rock climbing, Mm -hmm. more into rock climbing, especially outdoor rock climbing while in graduate school. And I would probably say, yeah, if I could have been, you know, like an, a guide or something as yeah. a instructor, I think that would have been such a great um, alternative. Yeah. I would say. Um, and I say that because, I mean, I still think about it too, till to, to this day. <laughs> um, it hasn't gone away. No. Um, and And I think the one thing I like about um, rock climbing is that again you're exposed to different stimuli. you're outside mm-hmm. um, it, uh, it's a form of meditation so it does something to your brain chemistry sure. um, and and physiology you're working you know your body you're uh-huh. trying to get up that mountain And so there's always components of science mm-hmm. um, and and I do find these types of activities. A lot more exciting and, you know, very interesting. Sure. Because again, like I think it's always just going to be about science. um, But how can I, you know, relate that to other parts of me um, that doesn't necessarily involve being in a bench?
0: Yeah. I love that. I do think exercise can be very meditative, you know, even just out for a walk, out for a jog, you know. Honestly, uh, my husband and I are scuba divers, and I find that to be very meditative because, I mean, there's literally nothing else you can do, you know? Just just breathe and float along and look for things and look at things, you know? There's nothing else you can do. You can't even talk in those moments. (laughs) So you know, you yeah. we, we have very creative hand signals for each other yeah. as we try to communicate non-verbally. But you know, it's 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 just something really wonderful about being able to quiet your mind, and mm-hmm. you know, especially like just on a walk or on a jog or something, and just shake off some of that extra anxiety. And then when you when you're done and you have this clearer head, things things become much clearer after that. Like yes. this thing that you've been mulling over for days, suddenly you're like, oh. It's so yeah. <laughs>
1: exactly, and exactly and i don't know if you had the same um experience like you know in graduate school or just when you were doing your research in the lab is that oftentimes you come to a blockage with your experiments oh, yeah. and challenges and you know you can beat your head over and over and over again but sometimes it might just require you to walk away, walk away from the bench, mm-hmm. go home, reset, yeah. come back with a refreshed mind. And then you're like, oh, okay, this is what happened.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, my 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 mentor used to have those days, and he would tell us, like, look, if you can't even get a protein assay to work, just put everything down, walk away. You know, your, your Western mm-hmm. block can stay for another day. It's not a big deal, you know, go home and shake it off like whatever it yes. is go home shake it off come back tomorrow you know and um i always appreciated that because certainly there were days that we all were like nothing's working <laughs> i'm just gonna go make cupcakes but i will see you tomorrow <laughs> you know like I, I, I can't makes you feel better yes. yes exactly exactly so let's talk about how how you got that first job uh, uh, so you wanted to be a professor when did that change
1: Um, I think it changed when I found out funding is such a big deal in academia. And, um, you know, I think with the amount of uh, PhDs that are um, uh, available in within the United States, uh, versus the amount of academic jobs, it's such a competitive field. Um, and, you know, again, going back to DEI and, and I, and I think it was, you know, it does seem to be overwhelming. It does get overwhelming. And, and I think for me, I came to an understanding where, okay, well, what are some of the values that, you know, are important to me and how can I find those values in my next phase of my career? And understanding that I don't necessarily have to mentor in an academic space, um, be able to do science outside of um, an academic institution, and, you know, also still create impact, then that made me realize, like, okay, I don't necessarily have to be a professor, right? Um, To be able to influence um, the younger generation and, you know, be able to have um, impactful work. And so understanding what those values are, it helped me find um, avenues or different institutions or companies and organizations where I could still do science work, but then be able to, you know, have impactful work as well. Um, yeah, and, and actually, I did um, this survey I think it's through science Uh where you put in all the different values that are important to you and then you kind of rank them and then actually the first thing that popped out was a medical science liaison (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah um, so I was just like, oh, what is a medical science liaison, you know, at that time? <laughs> Everyone and, wants to know. <laughs> yeah. And then I think that was the other thing too, that I was going through while I was in graduate school is just a lot of pathfinding mm-hmm. because, um, I know my institution at the time, uh, at least in the program directors, you know, they're, they were very supportive in terms of, um, careers beyond academia, yeah. Um, but there wasn't really a lot of information that is being provided. So there's still a lot of proactive um, endeavors that you have to do yourself to find out, you know, what's out there for someone with a PhD in science. Totally.
0: Is that my IDP that you're talking about? Yes, yes, that's what it was called. Um, The very, very first episode of this podcast is with my very dear friend, uh, Alicia Case. And she still uses my IDP. She used it to help her, as you say, help guide her towards what she wanted to do. But I think she still uses it you know, That's, when it comes to career, her own career development and thinking about next yeah. steps. And yeah, you know, and actually I, another friend uh, actually knows the person who created my IDP. So it's oh, cool. amazing how much impact it's made.
1: Yes, and I, I do think like those are tools that you can keep, you know, yeah. in, in your resource folder. Um, and, and I'm constantly thinking about, okay, well, I've, you know, harnessed this, new skill or knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, what what could that look like in, yeah. in the future? Right? And how mm-hmm. could I utilize that? And what does the next career look like? So I'm always thinking, mm-hmm. you know, what does that look like professionally? Is there growth um, in my current state? And what would that look like? Or what would I want in right. my future state?
0: I, I think that's so important because in a lot of ways, you know, I, and, and you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, there's so many PhDs and there's so little funding and mm-hmm. the funding that is there. I, I joke at NEI or NIH in general, but, you know, in my experience, the National Eye Institute, it feels like a force field, you know, and you have to try to penetrate through that force field for them to even look at you Mm -hmm. and then once they start looking at you, then, you know, you have to have a a competitive score and who you're working with and you know, who your letters from and everything. It's just such a challenging process, but I always maintain that that's, that's not enough to abandon science. If that's what you truly want to do, you want to be at the bench, then don't give up, you know, this is still something that you can do, but if your values, you know you value communication you value mentorship you value um free time you value you know um, some sort of work-life balance and, and you just know in your heart like this this is not a good fit for me yes. you have you have to start there yes. and I, I i love how i love how you said that because i completely agree it has to come from your values versus you know i'm so frustrated I'm just going to go teach somewhere because you're going to be miserable there too, you know. Until right. you figure out what it is that you really want and find a job that fits in with, with yes. your values, at a company that fits your values.
1: Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And and I think I was just lucky enough that while I was um, in my, you know, path finding, yeah. um, uh, I guess in 2019, just before I. Was finishing up with grad school, um, a friend of mine, uh, told me about you know patient advocacy groups, nonprofit sector, mm-hmm. and I I didn't even think about it at that time, and I was like, oh what wait do they do science um, you know because I'm like oh. in my my own assumption it was just like oh they fundraise they create. Um, Community types of events, um, you know, like really bringing in community and some sort of like ed- educational components to mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. to know more about the the diseases or you know what the program is about. And so when he had said, "Oh yeah, you know, I used to um, uh, volunteer for the summer uh, programs with the Muscular Dystrophy Association," I mm-hmm. uh, they have a clinical and um, scientific department um, but they, the scientific department they don't do any research so i started looking more into this and i was like oh wow it's like they've been around for you know over 70 years yeah and you know, have contributed to research, and the same goes with um, the CMT Research Foundation, which is the uh-huh. organization that I'm in with now, um, where we're really focused on um, funding research and pushing the amount of people who are trying to develop and find treatments and therapies, you know, with the hope of finding a cure. So right. a lot of the times um, m- many diseases and uh, CMT, Charcot Marie Tooth, for example, to date don't have cures. Yeah. And so, you know, and it, it does go back, kind of going back full circle, you know, and, and in terms of, wow, how much impact can you make if you're trying to help funnel, you know, this the amount of science, amount of research that's yeah. being done in this field. And then eventually like something will come up and I think it's such a gratifying feeling and just even thinking about it, like it's exciting. Oh, absolutely. So you started looking, so
0: you you started looking in 2019? Yes. Okay. And we just started 2024. So... I am to understand that in less than five years, you went from graduating with a Ph.D. at Stanford, and now you are the chief scientific officer at the Shakumari Tooth Foundation.
1: Yes, that's that's correct. That is a
0: meteoric rise, and I do not think you should downplay that at all. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. So let, 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 let's, let's talk about this like meteoric rise that you've had, you know, so you go from graduating and you learning about these patient advocacy groups. So what was your first role at the Muscular Dystrophy Foundation?
1: Um, so I actually uh, worked with the clinical research group. Okay. Um, and so what that entailed, um, and then mind you, I started in October, 2019, mm-hmm. and then the pandemic hit in 20 early 2020. <laughs> yeah. Talk about timing. Yes. Um, and so I was the regional director for the, um, like Northern California, uh, Pacific Northwest, and Pacific Northwest, and Alaska was also part of my region, but, you know, we didn't have a clinic at that time, um, in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of, um, relationships with KOLs. So yeah. it's. Very, very similar to medical science liaisons. Yes, that that in and of itself,
0: I want to I want to linger on that point for a second, because so many people, they hear about the MSL role. It is a phenomenal role, if you can get it Um, challenging, does present its challenges, but it's a wonderful job opportunity. It's a wonderful career to have. Mm -hmm. But you are the first person to talk about an MSL like role in the nonprofit sector. Yes. And so, I just want to emphasize that that there may be opportunities like this in regions where maybe our listeners haven't even thought about yet.
1: Yes, yeah, and and I think there are some distinct features between uh-huh. you know my role then at MDA versus what an MSL actually really does. There's a lot of similarities where you know there's KOL relationships. Oh. Um, the difference with my role at the time is that I wasn't necessarily talking about, um, you know, uh, results or analysis of the drug because we didn't develop drugs, sure, right? and and I wasn't in the the research department at that time either. Um, so it was really closely, you know. Um, talking to the kols in terms of like what are their needs what's happening within Mm -hmm. the organization how can we collaborate and help each other um what are some of the needs of the patients as well because those are um sites where they have mda clinics okay yeah and yeah so i i did that for you know october 2019 till probably March 2020, um, where I would pop in, um, to the clinic, say, hi, hello. How are things going? Be able to interact with a few patients. And then with the pandemic, we all went virtually. Um, so that also, I, you know, caused some reorganization of the, 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 the organization, um, and I had, oh, gosh, I think I had nine people at that time who was working with me. Okay. And with the pandemic, I ended up having, I think, one person. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> you know? The travel-based roles kind of fell apart when we couldn't go anywhere anymore.
1: Yeah. And and that was the hard part with a lot of foundations and nonprofits is mm-hmm. because... You know a lot of the fundraising it was in person yeah and so there was a lot of pivot and you know how can we come up with novel ways to do this virtually and still be able to make money so then we can keep funding the programs that we're already doing mm-hmm. yep and so eventually you know i was the regional director then i went to the research um, department, actually. So I went to the science department and I worked for one year, about a year um, in uh, developing, kind of help develop our database, our, our data hub, um, and really putting some more infrastructure there. And that was very interesting and fun uh, because I learned something new I've never worked on databases before and, you know, putting together governance and how the data should be used. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, you know, again, like, again, my curious mind was being fulfilled. And, um, but after a year <laughs> I went into, um, a portfolio director role. Okay. Um, um, partly because our, our portfolio director at that time had uh, moved on to a different organization. And so our EVP had said, hey, you know, we really need someone with a PhD for this type of role. Mm-hmm. Would you be interested? And I think for me, what was so interesting about it was that you'd be able to um, follow the science. A little bit more closely because these are projects that the organizations um, have funded already, and then you know you also get to experience um, like grant management, uh, what would happen, the process when um, applicants are sending in their proposals. So I think it was such a cool thing to be entrenched in in the sciences and the research without having to do the research myself. Know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that was <laughs> a point Yeah. And then that, all of that experience, actually as a research portfolio director, really helped um, funnel, you know, that in the transition to my current position. Um, I, before I had left, Um, the Muscular Dystrophy Association, I was already collaborating and, you know, working with CMT Research Foundation. While I was with MDA, we were able to do a co-funding for a project. And, you know, that time really helped me get to know the folks at CMT Research Foundation. And um, when their CSO left, he was, he was, he was so nice, such a, such a great person, and mm-hmm. also scientist, and did a lot for the foundation. And he, you know, emailed me personally and had said um, that he was going to a different organization. Um, and then the CSO role is available. <laughs> um, wow. and. Yeah. And I mean, at that time, and I think going back to, you know, um, to imposter syndrome (laughs) and knowing that I've only have this much experience under my belt. Yeah. I don't know if I'm capable of doing this. Right. Um, And I didn't apply right away. I didn't apply for the position right away. And it wasn't until probably two months after he had sent that email that i reached out to the ceo um and i had asked her, you know, just out of curiosity um if they found a cso and for me it was genuinely wanting to oh it would be great to meet them, you know, talk about different collaborations so sure. i was so and uh she responded no they haven't Um, if I knew someone who would be a good fit to let her know. Mm -hmm. I was at a conference at that time, so I wasn't able to respond right away. And then I had, um, I I see a follow-up email asking if I was interested by any chance. Mm -hmm. And again, kind of went back to, oh man, I don't know if I'm interested. I just don't know if I can, you know, if I'm capable yeah of course and i think there was a lot of um talking myself into just try the worst thing you can get is a no sure right and it kind of goes back to my philosophy where if you don't put yourself out there you're never going to know what's going to happen and so i'd rather just try it than not trying and regretting and so I did. And, you know, I've had multiple conversations during the interview process. Um, I was very candid in terms of, you know, I'm young. I still have a lot of experiences that I need to learn. Yeah. And, you know, this would be a huge learning curve for me if I take on this role. Mm-hmm. As long as you're comfortable with that, then I think it'll be okay. And so, you know, since the day I've started, um, I've had tremendous support um, and, and my CEO actually gave me this amazing gift. Um, never had it happened to me before um, where she provided a, an executive coach oh, for me. Wow. Yeah. And and funny enough because like my friends and I were just talking about, oh yeah, like there's my um someone in our group like had an executive coach and it was amazing and I'm just like, oh, that would be so cool to have. And then, mm-hmm. you know, eventually my my CEO, my boss was like, Well, I hope you see this as a gift. Uh-huh. <laughs> i was just like oh my gosh yes thank you so much this is amazing so what is, so what is an
0: executive coach describe describe what this person does for you
1: so we usually try to you know um identify goals okay. for the week and and i can't uh, i think we meet every we met every bi-weekly i believe we met bi-weekly uh-huh. and, and um you know she just guides me in the thinking process. Um, you know, why am I doing this? Do right. I understand what the goals are? Do people who are involved in this project or um, you know tasks know what they're doing and what the expectations are? Um, how to communicate with different groups of people? Yeah. Uh, you know um as simple as like um for example sending an email <laughs> um to to get people to be accountable mm-hmm. right? um and be very understanding of your leadership style as well so i thought that was really helpful for me oh, yeah uh, and yeah so you know it's just she didn't know the science but mm-hmm knew how to, you know, work with people, how do I see, make myself as, um, make myself and, you know, as the leader Uh and, um, just kind of hone that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, be able to gain more confidence, even though you don't necessarily have this specific experience. Right? Yeah. And so, and tying that into my leadership style. So there's like specific words that, you know, we would use that would feel comfortable for me, because sometimes I'm like, oh, that doesn't really sound like me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly fitting those different synergies yeah. in a way yeah. that I'm comfortable sure. um, but in a more professional setting as well. Absolutely. So I there's there's so
0: much about this story that I absolutely love. And I think, um, I guess my, my my first question is, between the time that you were originally approached about this role, and then the second time <laughs> you're approached for this role, and eventually you're going through the interview process, um, what were you, what were you thinking about, you know, as you were thinking about this role, besides, can I do this? You know, um, I guess, what were some of your other considerations as you thought about moving from this, you know, this one role at one foundation to this major leadership role in another organization? What were you thinking about?
1: Yeah, um, I think support was really a big deal for me. And and Mm then I think that's why I was very candid. Yeah. um, Interview phase, um, because also for me with the MDA, you know, we were a much larger organization. Mm-hmm. While the MT Research Foundation is smaller, it's newer, but they have a lot going on too, you know. And so I think understanding that if I took on, you know, if I take on this role would I have the type of support that I would need? Yeah. Because research is such a big component, if not the, you know, the, the component yeah. <laughs> research foundation. Sure. Yeah.
0: You know, I, and I think that's really, really important because I think, especially, especially as students and as postdocs, we always feel like we have to have the answer, you know? And I would tell people all the time, It's okay if you don't know the answer, and and when I was an MSL, I would tell sales reps this all the time. If you don't know, tell them you don't know. You can find a more eloquent or fun way to say it, whatever your style is, but it's perfectly fine to say, I'm not sure, let me get my MSL to contact you or, you know, I'll get somebody at the company to find a paper or something. find Find that resource for you, and it's okay. And as somebody who started a, a new job full time at the beginning of this year and something very, very different for me, um, I ask all the time, you know, oh. and I, I have no problem telling people, I'm still new. What does that acronym mean? Or what what is the appropriate process for this or for this, you know, because, you know, once you dive into the science, then that's kind of like the comfort zone, right? But it's everything else that's built around it that can seem so intimidating and so i i love that you were just you're that you're very candid like i'm young you're very very young <laughs> i have no experience in this role i will need help and and you got it you know and that's i guess i want to emphasize that it's okay to ask for help because you might end up with an incredibly supportive you know manager boss mentor who says yeah that's fine we will help you we will take care of you and bring you along you know yeah because otherwise otherwise if you had said yes and didn't say yeah yeah i need help i mean maybe you would have still gotten it but there are there are alternate universes where you would have been miserable because you would have just been completely overwhelmed right
1: yes exactly
0: i love that you asked for i love that you led with that and and you took your time to think about it, you know, and my negotiation class, they always said, don't, if you need to walk away, you need to step out of the room, you need to, and I, that always gives me palpitations, you know, <laughs> yeah. I have, I have such FOMO, you know, like, no, I can't walk away because what if, you know, but, but you did and you gave it a lot of thought, and I, and I absolutely love that. That's wonderful. I
1: mean, yeah. And I still do that with everything that I do yeah. to this day. Um, I I would say uh, when it comes to professional, um the professional side of me, uh-huh. I take a lot of time and processing. But and then and then I'm trying to incorporate that as well with you know the the perf- the personal um uh, aspects of my life as well. Sure. It's like really just processing through everything, try to be introspective. Uh-huh. And, you know, going back for a walk, for example, like you said, just stepping out, stepping out for for a minute or two. Yeah. And and breathe throughout the process as well. And don't, maybe don't go from
0: making that decision to doom scrolling on Instagram because that's not going to help you. You need to quiet your
1: mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just minimize the noise. Yeah. And yeah, try to practice that focus as well. Back back
0: at your time at MDA, it seems like you had a lot of support for trying out these different roles. And I know not every organization is like that. So um, it seems like you were incredibly fortunate to work for people who said, "Yeah, you wanna you wanna go from clinical trials to learning about research databases, databases, and then you wanna learn about managing portfolios." I mean, oh. I guess how did you do that? How did you who did you have to talk to or? Was there pushback on something
1: like that or how
0: did you how did you do that?
1: No, I don't think there was really pushback um I think I, again, like you said, you know, I think it was just fortunate um that I was fortunate to have bosses mm-hmm. um who were very supportive in in terms of you know, here are my interests, can I you know, dabble into this. Can I be a part of the group and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to find synergies as well? Um, Yeah. And and I think it was great because, you know, I my my boss really understood how important DEI was for me as well. So before I even left um, the Muscular Dystrophy Association, I was able to help them create a summer program for undergraduates. Um, who come from uh, non-traditional backgrounds, mm-hmm. and are very much underrepresented in, and especially in the neuromuscular space. So the effort was to try and introduce them into neuromuscular um, research and studies. And so last summer was the the pilot, and mm-hmm. I think it went well. Wonderful. Um, so they, yeah, and then they're continuing to do the, the program. So I was happy about that, you know, um, and, and, and I think that what makes a group and company um, very supportive or in terms of, you know, offer some of the, the great values because mm-hmm. they're open to seeing your growth. right yeah not necessarily it's just about like what they want um and and you know with cmt research foundation not even having to ask for it you know my boss gave me an executive coach which was amazing yeah and i think there's just so much value in that and then you can go so much further Mm -hmm. uh, you know with with the connections that you have with your colleagues or your own professional career, personal career. Um, And that's something that I I think I will always look for whenever, you know, whatever is in the near future for me.
0: Right. Yeah. You are, you are so far from retirement. I think you're going to, you're going to take over the world at
1: some point. (laughs) I don't know about take over the world, but (laughs) you know, do something, impactful that's always in nice. general of the united states
0: how about that yeah. <laughs> you'll end up with an md at some point
1: <laughs> Actually, um i was um, bouncing off ideas with my friend last night mm-hmm. and then i was just like, oh you know what would be so good for for travelers um so other thing that i'm really into is traveling yeah um uh, backpacking type of traveling very minimal And, and so I told her, I was like, you know, from my own experience, it would be great if we had this kind of service. I think it would just make it so much easier for the travelers. And then she said, how are you going to make money? I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that part, you know, it was more for like the ease of the traveler and not necessarily (laughs) um, trying to create a, like how I'm going to be able to fund this or make profit out of it and so i think my mind is always like thinking about the impact first Mm -hmm. versus you know monetary components of it i
0: love that so so in the last couple minutes that we have i i want to ask you since earlier in this interview we talked about your hype crew so out of curiosity what if you could be somebody else's hype crew so say mm-hmm. there is there are some young first generation low income students who might be listening to this right now, and they're thinking, "Wow, maybe I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty inspired." You know, maybe maybe I should consider you know a job in industry. Can you be that young Ladies hype crew? What would you What would you say, or what do you say to students who need a little
1: little boost? Yeah. So I think what was You know, would be very helpful for my own experience. Again, um, just use this as an example. Uh, Be proactive. Don't limit yourself um, just because you don't check all of the boxes. I think it's always good to understand what works for you and find what is the best fit for you. Um, Understanding, again, going back to the values versus, oh, this was not great because I had to work from, you know, 5 to 10 p.m., right? Um, so understanding needs and values versus wants. Um, and then also ask for help. Uh, it's so important. And having those kinds of conversations because you'll never know um, the other person and what their experiences were like and you know, unless you have those conversations and you might actually be able to connect and learn from their own experiences as well. So I would say, go for it. Um, You know, of course, have a plan. (laughs) Have a plan in terms of like how you're gonna go for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And trust in yourself. That you're you're capable you're more than capable absolutely as long as you put your mind into it um there's dedication yeah definitely be achieved I love that how can
0: people find you if they need to get in touch with you or if they want to contact you for
1: more info um either email uh do I put in my Well, so, you know, CMT research foundation, um, if you want to know a little bit more about the organization, um, and then you'd be able to find my email as well, which is edrits.havalosa at cmtrf.org. Okay. Um, and if there are more follow-up questions in regards to CMT or, you know, my Professional and personal journey. I'm more than happy to have those conversations. Can people uh, link up with you on LinkedIn? Yes, also LinkedIn. Yep. Okay. Edric Pelosa. Okay. Should I should be the only one <laughs> unless there's other Edrics. I'll have to meet them. <laughs> I think I think you are, but uh, yeah, that's a that's a
0: good point. Make sure it's the right one. <laughs> Dr. Edward Savalosa, this has been an absolute delight. You are <laughs> you are incredibly inspirational, and I hope that uh, I hope that everyone listening understands that uh, it, it can be done with the right mindset, with the right people behind you. You know, you you can you too can have a meteoric rise. It's and I, I cannot wait to see what you're going to be doing in five more years because I'm expecting big things.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Steele. Thank you for the kind words. And again, thank you for having me on your podcast. Such an honor.
0: Of course. So nice talking to you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Dr. Edgert Savalosa for joining me today. For those of you who are interested in My IDP, this is the second time that My IDP has been mentioned on the Bench to Boardroom podcast as a resource for those who are looking for jobs, as well as those who are just seeking further career development. I believe you can find that at myidp.com or through uh, Science Magazine. Uh, if you're interested in charcomary tooth disease or charcomary tooth research, you can find uh, more resources at the website that Edritz mentioned to you. And you can also contact her on LinkedIn if you have questions about the disease, about grants, or if you see a little bit of yourself in her and would like to talk a little bit more about her personal career trajectory. Um, as always, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.